Coming up on the Rami V podcast, a little cleanup from the Super Bowl, and then it was all thing Knicks. Jake Brown joined me to talk about the Knicks, to talk about Julius Randle's resurgence, Jalen Brunson's contribution, where this team can go with Tibbs, the Josh Hart acquisition, and other non-acquisitions at the trade deadline. What is the future for R.J. Barrett and O.B. Toppin and others? And a whole lot more regarding the Knicks and the NBA. It was a great conversation with Jake. All that and more coming up next on the Rami V podcast. Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Plus, you can exchange unlimited text messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. So I talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything. One of the things that I learned in therapy was that join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Rami. That's my first name. That's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami La V podcast, episode 136. We've got a great episode, actually. We do have some Super Bowl cleanup, some stuff to, uh, just some stuff that happened uh, during the Super Bowl that I didn't get to on last episode. As I get a little further removed, obviously these things happen. Friday, uh, we're going to talk all about the quarterback carousel as Derek Carr has been officially released. He played Harbaugh with the Raiders. He wins. He's been officially released. Uh, and now he can sign wherever he'd like. So there's that with Derek Carr. Aaron Rodgers, on the other hand, is at his, uh, I guess, his pitch black darkness resort or whatever it is. Um, and I'm sure he's going to have a wonderful time there deciding which team he wants to join. Lamar Jackson is going to be franchise tagged. And we'll talk about that a little bit and if they can trade him and what they will get for him. The Ravens, that is. Okay, um, a couple of things. First of all, this is kind of just funny. Vic Fangio, there's a lot going around saying that he signed a two-week contract with the Eagles to help them with their defense, help prep for Patrick Mahomes. Well, that didn't go so well. The Eagles' defense stunk. And we talk about reasons why the Eagles lost, and you get a little further removed from it, and you realize that the reason is not because of a penalty. The reason they didn't get a final drive in the last two minutes of the game was the penalty, but that's not the reason they lost. The reason they lost was because their defense completely folded in the second half. And... If the Chiefs decided not to take a knee on the last drive, 
and then take the clock down and kick the game-winning field goal, then uh, they would have scored a touchdown on every single drive of the second half. So say what you want about the Eagles and not getting another chance. Their defense is what screwed them in this game. Um, Also, another thing. I always talk about this, so I can't believe that I didn't talk about this on last episode, and I am kind of frustrated with myself and kind of... uh, I, I don't know. I'm just, yeah, like I said, frustrated with myself. But I always talk about how a team gets away from the run when they get down big. They get away from what's making them effective. The Chiefs needed to keep the pressure off Patrick Mahomes, and you do that with the quick screens and the run plays, and that alleviated some of the pressure, and they were getting success on the ground with Pacheco. Um, So the first drive of the second half, down 10, you think, okay, panic time. You got to start throwing the ball. You got to come out. You got to put up points. Your defense hasn't been able to stop Philly's offense really and you only put up seven offensive points in the first half and no they come out they run the ball seven times on the first drive of the second half and route to a touchdown drive they had a game plan in place and they didn't go away from it they doubled down on it and they said this is the right game plan and that's Andy Reid being a veteran coach making the proper adjustments or in that case lack thereof and not panicking and knowing how much time he has and knowing the quarterback he has on his side And Patrick Mahomes eventually drove them back into that game. Speaking of Patrick Mahomes, another thing. A lot of people are talking about how Jalen Hurts outplayed him by far. And the numbers would point to him outplaying him by far. I don't think that's true. Um, Patrick Mahomes, first of all, was perfect. He made zero mistakes. And Philly made two mistakes, right? If you look at Philly, the two big mistakes were the fumble recovered for the touchdown and the punt that was a terrible punt and gets returned all the way down to whatever it was inside the five yard line. So if you take those two plays, that's two huge mistakes from Philadelphia. Whereas Patrick Mahomes didn't have, he didn't even have a throw that looked like it might've been intercepted. He didn't have a tipped pass, nothing. Every single play that he made was perfect. So Mahomes was perfect in this game. Second, if you're looking at it statistically, Mahomes had two less drives because of those two plays. There was the fumble that was recovered and then taken into the end zone. And then there was the kickoff, the punt return. That was a terrible punt return. That set them up right away uh, for them to score a six-yard touchdown. So statistically, Mahomes had two less drives uh, than Jalen Hurts, and I'm not Mahomes not is not complaining about it. He's more than happy to have his team set him up at the ten-yard line or his team score a touchdown on defense. That's a benefit for him, but you can't take that away from his performance. It just means that he didn't have to gain as many yards. Um, because of that. Also, his 26-yard run was the longest run of his career. Just tells you in that moment when he needed it most, he made the biggest play of his career. Speaking of um, those two plays, though, the fumble and the punt return, this is what uh, just... You talk about everything you talk about with Jalen Hurts. What impressed me most about Jalen Hurts, and I didn't emphasize this enough on last episode, number one, um, after that terrible punt and they come back down the field, and this is, again... The way the game went was the Eagles settle for a field goal, which was huge at that point in the game to go up 27-21. I thought that them settling for a field goal there was very telling. And because they settled for a field goal, or really they were forced, I guess it was fourth and eight, so they weren't going to kick it there um, or they weren't going to go for it necessarily there. But settling for the field goal there and only going up six felt like a big moment in that game. And it turned out to be, right? Because then the Chiefs come back, they have the long touchdown drive, and then they get the big punt return after forcing a three and out, and they score again. After those plays, both settling for a field goal, having a three and out, the terrible punt, and the Chiefs essentially score, what was it, 16 straight, 14 straight points, I guess, to go up eight. And now you're down eight, and you're down for the first time in this game. The way he responded, Jalen Hurts did, 
going all the way down the field. He ran the ball into the end zone himself, and he ran in the two-point conversion. That was one of the most impressive drives you've seen from a young quarterback in a long time. And the second moment was earlier in the game also. After the strip sack fumble where he really just dropped it, it was an unforced error, and it gets recovered and returned for a touchdown. Now it's a tie game. Jalen Hurts responds by putting together two drives where they were just crazy good drives and they go up 10. It's like, yeah, we're it's 14-14 now. I just had the worst play of the game. Doesn't matter. I'm going to put 10 straight points on the board and we're going to have a 10-point lead going into the half. Uh, Jalen Hurts proved to me that he is one of the special quarterbacks in this league, which brings me to the next point. Jalen Hurts is going to need to get paid. And that is going to be an interesting scenario how that comes about because if he gets paid, it's post-year three now. This is when quarterbacks should be paid, <clears throat> Baltimore Ravens. This is when Josh Allen was paid. Most of the guys, I think Patrick Mahomes also. This is when you pay a quarterback of this caliber. And if you don't pay him at this point, that's how you get yourself into a bad situation. But the problem is, what kind of precedent will this contract set? If Jalen Hurts gets paid another fully guaranteed or close to fully guaranteed contract after year three, and it's a long-term deal with lots of guaranteed money, that just looks worse for the Ravens, and I think that continues to ruin the relationship between Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. I don't believe he'll play on the franchise tag. He's going to be tagged. The Ravens already said they were going to tag him. I don't think he's going to play on it. So at this point, it's a decision. We tag him. Are we going to watch him hold out? Are we going to try and figure out a contract while he's on the tag? Or are we trading him? And I think... I don't think a Jalen Hurts contract helps the Ravens when they're trying to negotiate a contract because it's just going to be another huge guaranteed money contract for a quarterback who just lost in a Super Bowl but never won an MVP like Lamar did, although he, you can certainly make the case that he should have been MVP this year, and if he stays healthy, he probably is. Uh, people saying that he wasn't healthy in that game on that last throw, well, he threw it further than that last throw multiple times. That last throw, he slipped, he stepped on someone's foot. I truly buy that because people are like, oh, it's just an excuse. It's not an excuse because we saw him make tons of throws, the throw to Goddard, the throw to Smith, the throw to A.J. Brown. He threw it downfield more than 30 yards like he did on that throw. All right, that's it with the football. We'll come back with more football and more other topics, obviously, as we get ready for NFL free agency, the draft, all that stuff on Friday. It's also All-Star Weekend on Friday in the NBA. We'll talk hockey, pitchers and catchers report today. So baseball is back in full swing as well. Um, but first, let's talk basketball. My friend Jake Brown joined me on the podcast to talk about the New York Knicks, the state of the Knicks, the turnaround this year, Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, the trade deadline, Emmanuel Quickly, RJ Barrett, all things Knicks. And it was a great conversation. It's a long conversation, but it's really good. Enjoy it now. Joining me now on the Rami Lavi podcast is Jake Brown. He is uh, on Knicks Twitter as uh, for, works for the Knicks wall and bunch of other places and he's one of my favorite follows on twitter so first of all jake thanks for doing this thanks for taking the time yeah thanks for having me man i really appreciate it my pleasure and uh to me the biggest story of this next season because that's what we're going to get into and i don't think any of this next season that is kind of a resurgence from last year if you consider where they came from none of it is possible without julius randall i want to start there what have you seen from him that's the difference between last year and this year you know, I think that the difference between last year and this year, honestly, is having a competent point guard. I mean, we had Alec Burks at point guard last year. We had a little bit of Kemba Walker at point guard last year. Now that we have Jalen Brunson, um, because we'd see at times last year where Julius Randle would be taking up the ball 
almost every single time down that floor. But now with Jalen Brunson, it kind of eases him from that playmaking position. And, you know, uh, that screen and roll between Brunson and Randall has been phenomenal this year. They've worked it to perfection. And, yeah, I really think that for Randall, not only has it been the presence of Brunson and what he's capable of doing out there to help him out, but I think it's also his attitude, the the way he's came into uh, the season. You see him smiling a lot more. You just you're just seeing a a version of Julius Randle that we're not used to seeing. Uh, maybe we saw a little bit uh, a couple years ago when they made the playoffs, but this is a this is a fun Julius Randle that we're seeing, and I think that he took it for granted last year, and now you're seeing him kind of live in the moment and be passionate out there. He's it's it's just been really unbelievable, man. It's a, really a good thing to see and very well deserving that he made the all-star team this year. Yeah. And it's funny. You talk about the point guard situation to that for a second. You saw, I think Alfred Payton just signed a contract with the G league. So the guy who was our starting point guard for a playoff game a couple of years ago is not even in the NBA anymore. And he's only 28 years old. So that just tells you how bad the Knicks point guard situation has been. Yeah. And it's not like it's just been, uh, last year and the year before it's been since i mean we've had a number of guards over the years i mean derrick rose even the first time he was in new york that that fizzled out um he disappeared for a bit yeah the i mean the the most competent point guard we've had in the last 10 years i would say is raymond felton because he brought that team or helped that team at least to the second round of the playoffs yeah him and kid together you talk about um, Randall's attitude. I don't know if you heard the quote, him talking about Johnny Bryant. Have you heard that? Uh, I don't believe I have. So Johnny Bryant flew out. The Knicks assistant head, uh, Nick assistant coach flew out to Dallas this past summer and talked to Julius Randall about changing his attitude. Exactly what you just said. Here's what Julius Randall said about Johnny Bryant after uh, he was named to the all-star team. I mean, one of the biggest things was uh, he was like, you know, um, just talking about the year before, and was um, he said something that was like uh, along the lines of like if you were acting, if you were your teammate, and uh, saw you acting the way that you had did sometimes, you know, a body language showing frustration, um, whatever it was, would you want to be your teammate? And I was like, no, nah. you know. So I kind of had to look myself in the mirror and, and take accountability and, and get better and learn from it. You hear that and it's like exactly what you talked about. It's everything that every Knicks fan who watched last year, watched two years ago, and now watched this year sees the difference. Randall playing with the joy and the appreciation for the game. Even when he gets frustrated sometimes, it feels like now he takes it all in his play on the court in a positive way. What's your reaction to hearing that? I'm I'm just glad that Johnny Bryant went out there and said the things that he did because with the way the offseason went, we didn't really know if we were going to see Randall in a Nick uniform uh, again coming uh, into this fall. But, I mean, it was a very quiet summer social media-wise from Randall. We didn't really hear much from him besides uh, playing in a couple exhibition games and maybe the occasional post. But uh, he really took the time this summer to, you know, hone his craft, work on areas of his game, and ultimately get into that right mindset and – with Johnny Bryant, man, I mean, he's a he's a really great associate coach to have for this team. And I think what I take away most from that quote is 
Randall's recognition of of that. I mean, he didn't have. I mean, he still had a solid year last year, but he wasn't doing the things that. And numbers wise, it was fine. Yeah, numbers wise, he's completely fine. But it was really just a matter of he wasn't doing the things uh, out on the floor that he needed to do in order to put his team in a position to succeed. And you know, it really, it really showed. I mean, it showed in their record. Um, it showed in their play. But yeah, it was really really good recognition there from Randall and he's really taken account and pretty much turned this team around this year with the help of Brunson and RJ amongst others. Yeah. I think last year, the biggest difference from I see, cause I like to go to the games and see, you know, it, during the timeouts, during breaks, see exactly what's happening last year. It was a lot of sitting alone at the end of the bench or complaining to the refs. Uh, you know, this year he's smiling. He'll go over, he'll dap up his kid in a timeout. You know, his son and, and wife are there again, which towards the end of last year, we didn't see that anymore, right? They weren't in the building as much. You see a totally different change in attitude and whatever he changed, it's it's exceptional. But you said the summer was kind of quiet for the Knicks uh, other than, or I guess for Randall, but one big thing did change over the summer, like you mentioned earlier, and that's the bringing in Jalen Brunson. Twofold on this one, I think, first of all, Dallas missed him really missed him and that's why they felt the need to go get Kyrie Irving and we'll talk about that a little bit later but the Knicks recognizing we need a point guard and this is the guy seeing a guy who's performed in big games he's changed to me everything about this team yeah he really has I mean from from his playmaking to his just sheer scoring he he does a lot out there for the Knicks he's an undersized guard and I mean uh with Donovan Mitchell um, being rumored to join, there was always that concern with them being the height that they are at six one. But he, for for his height, he he doesn't really play like he's six one. He could play like he's six five. He's a thick dude. Yeah, he's a thick dude. He's got some physicality to him. Um, gets into his defender all the time. Very creative off the dribble, uh, and uses that to put himself in great situations. But his teammates in even better situations as well. So before we get back to the Knicks, um, I just want to talk about you and your career for a second because you're in college now, but obviously to me, what I see on your Twitter, you're obviously ascending towards a career in media. Um, how did you get going with this? You know, just posting about the Knicks. What do you do for the Nick wall? All that different th- stuff. Uh, tell me about it. So I'll, I'll backtrack. Um, I'll backtrack to high school. I graduated and, uh 2020 from high school uh we had covid that year i missed uh all of my senior or the rest of my senior year because of covid um kind of was unsure of what to do going into college ended up going to the university of rhode island and decided to pursue uh, a major in sports media and communications and that first year i mean there really wasn't much going on um with all the restrictions, but as things got better with COVID, um, we had the 72 game Knicks season, the 2020, 21 season, which was really awesome. But um, yeah, with, with COVID um, and everything getting better after the fact, it kind of gave me like motivation and a drive to uh, set out and get what I want to achieve. And, at the end of the day, I'm looking to get somewhere in the sports media field. So um, I eventually found a knack for sports writing. I 
ended up writing for a sports media club at the school. And then that eventually led to writing for Fansided's Daily Knicks page, um, which I wrote for for from April of last year up until October. I've uh, with the Knicks wall, I've only been there for a few months, but I think I started to take Twitter seriously towards the end of my uh, time with Fansided and the Daily Knicks. And with the people that I joined the Knicks wall with, they're all very creative people. They're all very motivating people. And I, I felt right at home. It motivated me to do all the things that I'm doing. And yeah, I've since, uh, since then I've also picked up a, a major in public relations and the goal, the goal at the end of the day is to do something within sports media, but I've also welcomed the idea of doing something with a team, possibly doing uh, sports PR. So yeah, I'm, I'm just really excited for the future. I still got one more year of school left. So yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'll be honest, and I'm not like, and I said this before we got on the call. I'm not blowing smoke. I think you're well on your way because I can't stand Nick's Twitter. And then every time I see one of your tweets, I'm like, eh, that one I agree with. I like that. Why do you think Nick's Twitter is so negative? Uh, there's a, there's a lot of things that go into it. People will start, you know, throwing personal shots at people uh, after a while. But I think the reason why we're so negative is because a there's a lot of us and b it's because you know everyone whether we all have differing opinions or not we want to see this team win at the end of the day we want to we i mean hell we haven't had a championship since what 1973 so um it's been a long time coming for this fan base to to get something in the win column outside of other sports so yeah, a lot of negativity just comes from the fact that we we want to see this team win, but I think our perception our perceptions are all different, so that's where the uh the hostility comes in. I was shocked and maybe you were too at how many people wanted Zach Levine at the trade deadline. Like to me that makes no sense if anyone who's seen him play, anyone who knows his game, who to me he's a high volume, you know, guy who's if he gets has the ball in his hands all the time, he's going to put up numbers, but when you watch him play, he's not a team player, he's not he doesn't have the smarts, he's everything you don't want, and so many people were willing to just yeah, trade the farm as it treating him like he was Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I I thought that was a little head scratching just from the the Knicks organization even entertaining that idea. I mean, the fact that now you you're correct when you're saying um like he's a high volume player. Like if you give him the ball, he's going to do something with it, whether it's efficient or not. But you also got to factor in the injury history. He's had, he had a torn ACL back in Minnesota. He's been suffering from like leg and knee injuries during his time in Chicago. Uh, not to mention he just signed a five year, 200 plus million dollar deal. I mean, is it really a good idea for the Knicks to be forking over a handful of draft picks and young assets for someone who is overpaid and can't stay on the floor. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's a great player. And well, I mean, even if we were to trade for him, like he would help us uh, be in a good position as long as he's healthy. But if we're, if we're talking in terms of the future, we, we can't be just giving up these picks. I mean, we've, we've done a good job in the last couple of years drafting players and 
building up these assets. So why would we th- go out and throw that all away? And I'm glad they didn't. And they only made the the deal for Josh Hart. Yeah, uh, it was a good deal. And we'll get back to the trade deadline in a second. But um, when you talk about the Knicks and how negative they are, the fans, I guess, but you talk about, yes, they haven't won since 1973, but also at the same time, this is a team that was 17 and 65 in 2019. We're not that far removed from that. And if you think about where the team has come, I mean, you're building. I don't understand. People on Twitter seem to treat this team like every time they lose or lose one of these tight games at home, it's fire tibs. The rotation is bad. It's it's there seems to be such an overreaction and uh, the same side on the winning side. Everyone, you know, obviously I was there last year opening night against Boston, right? When they won that o- triple overtime, whatever it was game and yeah. everyone's going nuts and bing bong and all that. And shout out Jordy. But still, <laughs> I, I don't understand. I don't understand how you over like it's like with every little thing that happens, it feels like there's such a shift, like either overly positive or overly negative. To me, it's just, okay, we've seen a little steady growth. Last year was a disappointment, but now we have a point guard. And if you slowly build, you have so many young, talented players, it feels like it's moving in the right direction. And you're right now at a point where if the next superstar, whoever it may be, becomes available, you're kind of in a position to get that guy. Yeah, you're you're definitely in a position to go and get someone in the offseason or years beyond with the draft capital we have now. I mean, you said it yourself, 2019, we had an absolutely terrible record, 17 and 65, probably the worst team in the conference helped us get RJ. But since then, we've, you know, we've put together such a great team through through the likes of Leon Rose and the Knicks Twitter still talk, talk about this team as if they're still that 17 and 65 team saying, oh, fire the coach or oh, get this guy off the floor. We've seen so much progression in such little time that especially now more than ever, Knicks fans take for granted what we have in comparison to other teams. Like, for example, look at the Brooklyn Nets. They just blew up their entire team and we're here complaining about, oh, uh, I don't know, like Isaiah Hartenstein, like not playing, playing the right way or stuff like that. I mean, heck, we're now in a position where we can probably get one of those top six seeds because of what Brooklyn just did. So we got to be really positive going forward because we have the assets. We have the players right now to go out and, you know, do something and heck even possibly win a playoff series for the first time since 2013 it has been 10 years. So there's a lot to look forward to. And Nick's Twitter sometimes doesn't realize that. Yeah, and neither of us are saying this is a championship team, but you're seeing a team that's building. And to me, even some of the losses, it's, it's a make or miss league. Some of the losses that they've had down the stretch, the first one that comes to mind is the Bucks one or different losses like that. They've had so many of them, right? Late games at the Garden that felt like they were winnable. I was at the game against Toronto uh, where, you know, RJ has the dunk at the end at, at the end of regulation. And Jalen Brunson, hit, he, it's a transition three. You want that guy, your best player, taking that shot in that spot. And if he hits it, they win. It's make or miss. That's how the league works sometimes. And it feels like... Like when I watch those games, I see growth. I see a team that's putting themselves in positions to win these tight, close games at the end. And it's a couple misses here or a couple makes by the other team. And that's the difference. Other people get so like distraught over it. I don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, people get distraught over it. And and part of it is rightfully so you're you're. It's it's unfair to say that 
sports like emotion like directly results from sport i mean it's it's fair to be very passionate about your team but i mean if you look at it even though we may have been losing to all these big teams like even uh memphis you said milwaukee these these are games that are very winnable and if we're making the right adjustments at the end of the game we we can definitely make some uh do some damage and i i don't think that people realize that the especially when Mitchell Robinson comes back too that the Knicks can hang with almost anyone in this league yeah you mentioned the adjustments at the end of the game one of them that i like to see a little bit more of but we've seen so far and i was actually sitting next to uh Emmanuel Quickly's mom for that game against Toronto and he was not on the floor uh for overtime in the closing minutes to me when he's out there at the end of the game it adds a whole nother dynamic his energy at any point in the game his energy in every game his you know his shooting has become more consistent but even if he's not shooting well to me what he does on the defensive side I don't know if you saw uh Fred Katz wrote for the athletic a piece breaking down Emmanuel Quickly's defense what he does energy defense his playmaking has gotten much better to me he is has blossomed and I, I saw him in trade rumors also I would he is untouchable if I'm the Knicks he has blossomed into such a key part to this team. What have you seen the difference even from last year to this year with Emmanuel quickly? Um, honestly, I think it's a sense of confidence. I feel like confidence has been really big in uh, the surge that we've been seeing from him recently. Um, and I think you don't even have to compare him to last year. You can compare him to the, like the beginning of the season where he wasn't hitting his shots and he wasn't, uh, doing the best essentially, but he, he stuck with it. I mean, there's a lot of guys on this team that need, need the ball and stuff like that. So Emmanuel quickly really finds different ways to get involved, whether it's playing really hard on defense or making the extra pass. So, I mean, his development has been tremendous and it's really paying off. Now you see him, he's, he's been probably scoring uh, 14, 15 a game. I mean, Part of that is because he's been starting due to the uh, absences of others, but he's doing a really great job stepping up to the plate and filling in that role like he knows how to. I don't know if you're a hockey fan, but in hockey, there's a term uh, 16 game player, which is basically essentially a guy who is made for the playoffs. To me, Emmanuel quickly, Quentin Grimes. These are guys who define 16 game players. Another one is Josh Hart, who we'll get to in a second. You talked about confidence with quickly. I'm seeing a lack of confidence from RJ Barrett and I don't want to be hard on him because he's a kid. Right. And yeah. it's, it's developing, but the one thing, and I guess the lack of confidence is obviously showing itself in shooting. I think he's not getting to the rim as much because I think he's not confident in his free throws. And I think he's shooting. You clearly see lack of confidence when he's shooting his threes. What are you seeing from RJ? And the last thing is, Clyde pointed this out on the broadcast a couple of weeks ago, so it was ma- or a week ago at this point, so it was making headlines about R.J. Barrett's defense. To me, that's just a lack of effort. You see his he's not getting his feet set. He's kind of dragging his feet a little bit on defense. To me, other than the, I guess, the lazy excuse of he got paid this summer, why is his defense falling off? Why is there no confidence on the offensive side? What's happening with R.J. Barrett right now? You know, I actually broke this down a couple of weeks ago on Twitter. I noticed that he was playing tough defense, uh, poor defense. And, you know, a lot of that just comes down to communication with teammates. It comes down to 
um, just overall recognition of the play, um, being prepared and stuff like that. It's it's really tough to see, uh, especially after you got that big deal and the, the poison pill being in his contract, making him not immovable, but it, it makes it pretty tough for him to be moved. There's, You can obviously see that his confidence has gone down, whether it's his takes to the rim, but his, his IQ has to be better. Um, recog- like even if he's um, going to double somebody, you can't be just like uh, you can't just do it in like slow motion. You gotta you gotta double them hard or something like that. Um, I just think with RJ, his, at the end of the day, it, his IQ is gonna be what makes or breaks for him. Um, for example, you you see his takes to the rim. Um, yeah, he may not be as confident taking it up because he he hasn't been confident in making free throws, but I think it's also about the quality of the shot too. Um, he's not putting up the best shots at the rim. Settling for a lot of mid-range jumpers like off the dribble. Definitely, and there's some times where he'll take it into the teeth of the defense. There'll be three guys around him, and he's still taking a contested floater that like comes up short or – Heck, even gets blocked and it goes the other way on a fast break and completely swings the momentum. I, I really think that he's got to be a little bit more decisive. It seems at times uh, that he can't really make a decision and it ends up biting him in the back. Yeah, and another thing with him, I mean, he's he's shooting at one of the highest volumes on the team and obviously hitting at one of the lowest efficiencies. That's something you never want to see. And now Tibbs, and I think rightfully so. I know last night he played him at the end of the game. We're recording this on Sunday. But last night he played him down the stretch. I, that lineup was interesting. I I literally said, I said, I, I'd like to see quickly or Grimes in that spot so that we can get some more playmaking and a shooter. for. And then right after that, RJ hits the corner three. So, but him not playing at the end of the games, I think is justified. And if he's not playing at the end of the game, and there's another guy now, Josh Hart, that's going to be filling that spot. Do you think RJ Barrett gets moved this offseason? Um I'm going to say no and part of it is because of his contract. I mean, he's uh, he's still on the end of his rookie deal now, so that extension kicks in next summer. It's going to be tough to move him regardless. Um though I can't say that the Knicks should focus on building around him. Um I think the team should currently build around Jalen Brunson um, because he's done a tremendous job in turning this team into what it is now. But um, yeah, RJ Barrett being moved is something I I really don't see. Um, They've committed so much to him already. Um, I feel like it would just be a little foolish to dish on him now, uh, especially considering he's 22, 23 years old. There's still a lot of bright years ahead for him. It's just that he needs to get back to what he's doing. Like we saw last year at the end of the season and, you know, ramp up this, his play uh, with the all-star break next weekend and uh, heading into this final stretch of the season. Yeah. And the one thing that's a positive is a lot of what we've seen is confidence and effort. And if that goes up, then, you know, then he'd be playing better. That's things that you can change, right? Yeah. there. I mean, uh, throughout like the, the uh yeah throughout uh most games you see his confidence 
dwindle uh, through the first half, the second half or whatever. But at least I, for me personally, I've seen that his uh, shot making in the clutch has been very, very good. I think that's a part of his game that kind of goes under people's noses, um, especially with how many times he's helped us win games. But uh, when it just comes to the general flow of the game, he needs to um, put it together, uh, whether it's making the right pass. Like even last night, I'm sure you saw the OB, uh, OB being wide open under the basket. Yep, every, everyone's He's retweeting make that, that one. Pass. Yep. He's got to make that pass. I mean, it's point blank. I mean, we still got the win anyways. But I'm, I mean, I don't know if he actually did see him or not, but – just having the IQ, the recognition, it's got to be there. Yeah, just seeing the game a little bit differently. It feels like having his head in the game. I, Clyde mentioned that, like, where's your head? Like, sometimes he says that specifically regarding RJ. And it's true. Sometimes his head it just doesn't feel like it's there. Um, what do you think of this? Because I've heard about this. You know, if you do get somehow whatever it is, you get a star in that role who's going to play the two or three. If RJ is coming off the bench, I feel like when he has the ball in his hands a little bit more with the second unit, he's been effective in that role. And you could still play him 25 to 30 minutes a game. Do you think ultimately that's the role that he ends up in as a, you know, a defensive guy who can hit some big knock down a couple big shots, catch and shoot, but then also have the ball and kind of be the playmaker with the second unit kind of with maybe alongside Emmanuel quickly. Yeah. I mean, we've our it's, it's yeah. I would say that, with the starters, RJ Barrett has formidably struggled because he's not getting as many shots uh, within the offense because, you know, Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson command so many. And I, I, I also said this on Twitter that um, RJ Barrett, I feel like would work really well in a bench role, um, whether that's um acquiring a star or even heck ascending Josh Hart to the starting lineup or something like that um I think that his bench scoring uh or his ability to thrive against second units is very huge for this team but um I also welcome it because he needs a wake-up call man I mean um his defense has been very lackluster um I know that our defense has been overall pretty crummy at times even with Tom Thibodeau being a defensive-minded coach but I mean he he has definitely been one of our worst defenders all year so I I have no problem with uh if a superstar were to come in for him to be benched because not only does it give him this wake-up call like oh I need to uh be better on the defensive end but it also gives him a chance to play with Emmanuel quickly on the bench and bolster that bench unit because we've seen at times this season um just with the lack of offense from miles mcbride and you know jericho sims being um he's he's a solid center but i mean he's not getting it done on offense like we we know mitchell robinson can and isaiah hartenstein can sometimes so um giving that bench and uh, giving the bench an extra boost is really, really important. And I feel like if the, the Knicks were to make that move, RJ would be uh, a good fit. Well, I, and, and fans wouldn't be particularly happy, especially the, the RJ hive. You Are know? they ever? Uh, they're, they're never happy. There's always something wrong, but you know, um, 
Yeah, RJ can really thrive in a bench role, I think. Okay, so you talked about building around Brunson. You talked about RJ on the bench. You talked about Josh Hart maybe slipping into that. So let's talk about the trade deadline. Obviously, what happens in Brooklyn, I know I don't feel bad for them at all. And actually, like I kind of like this Brooklyn team better than the last Brooklyn team. Like Watching them last night, they're feisty. They're fun. Like It reminds me of the early Brooklyn team before Kevin Durant and, and uh, Kyrie Irving showed up. And Okay, sorry, didn't work out for you. Would you? Would I put myself in that position? Would I, if I can go back in time, I would still take Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Yeah, of course you would, but sorry. Josh Hart feels like a perfect Nick, and it manifests itself last night. He's perfect for Tibbs. Obviously, you see the Jalen Brunson reaction. That tells you what kind of guy he is. Obviously, Brunson was ecstatic to have him join the team. And then you see him last night. It felt, felt like every loose ball, I tweeted this at some point, every 50-50 ball somehow ends up in Josh Hart's hands. And... That's the type of guy he is down the stretch of games, getting you extra possessions, getting you offensive rebounds, making the big plays, diving on the floor. He even knocked down a shot. He, he's the IQ guy. He is so smart. He's the exact type of player that you want at the end of games. Yeah, I mean, Kendrick Perkins said it the other day. I feel like with this acquisition of Josh Hart that the Knicks kind of have more of an identity now, um, especially on that defensive end. I feel like, um, with Josh Hart being the Swiss army knife of the Knicks. Um, he does a lot of things that kind of go under, under the radar. I mean, you see his statistics. It's like nine points a game, uh, eight rebounds, like nearing four assists, something like that. Um, his, when looking at his stats off a of first glance, it's like, all right, he's a, he's a solid role player. He's going to uh, contribute off the bench. But, I mean, it goes so much more – like beyond the numbers and uh, how hard he plays as um, an individual player. I I think that the what the Knicks were really missing uh, on defense was just not only the ability to properly contest, but properly finish out defensive possessions with that initial rebound off the miss. And Josh Hart has done a great job last night, especially uh, tracking down uh, some of those loose balls and it really just vaulted the Knicks in front and it you know it it kept them um, not only competitive but it kept gave them a cushion uh, in this game late yeah and Cam Reddish was moved in that deal uh maybe cam reddish is the problem like everyone all the cam reddish defenders who are like how, how are you not playing him more well this is now the second team that he's had this where he obviously has talent he's young and he can't get on the floor so i'm sure he'll have some sort of tell-all story where he was mistreated by tibbs and the knicks but maybe you're the problem right yeah i mean um like we're not going to take away from cam reddish that he started in portland his his first game a couple nights ago and he, I mean, he did pretty solid, but you know, I wouldn't. He I had wouldn't, a solid stretch with the Knicks, also. He had a solid stretch with Atlanta, also. And then for some reason or another, and we don't know necessarily why, it fizzled, right? And whatever yeah. got old with him. Yeah. And I mean, some of it comes down to he doesn't really fit what the Knicks are trying to do. I mean, he, I feel like he's more of an isolation centric player. And considering that we already have, players that like to work in isolation with uh, Brunson and Randall that it's hard for Cam Reddish to really thrive on this team. And I mean, uh, 
he doesn't really have the defensive intangibles that Josh Hart does. So he can't really work in other ways to help this team succeed. And I feel like that's why we saw Miles McBride come into the lineup and Cam Reddish taking a back seat. And uh, his offense, don't get me wrong, it, it is, it's great. But I mean, with how uh, isolation centric the Knicks are already and um, just the, the depth of the team as well, that comes into play. Uh, last year and this year, uh, it's it was really hard for him to get minutes. I I understand why people are mad, but especially when the the Knicks went on an eight game winning streak in the month of December, people were saying, "Oh, camera, like why isn't Cameron getting playing time?" Like we can't be worrying about that right now. It, I mean, we're we're winning games out here. We're we're actually seeing a turn with this team, and it's 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 just frustrating to see people talking about Cam Reddish the way that they are especially when the Knicks have been doing great all year. A couple of guys that don't get moved at the deadline, obviously Derek Rose. I would have liked to have seen him maybe in Milwaukee. There was rumors there because I want to see him play. I love Derek Rose. I, I met yeah. him the first time he was with the Knicks and he just seems like a good dude. And, you know, you want to see him in a deep playoff run. And I think the Bucks have a real shot at winning the whole thing. And it would have been fun to watch him uh, come off the bench behind Drew. Um, obviously Fournier and Obi, none of them get moved. But now you're still kind of in limbo with them. Obi's still going to be playing, what, 12 minutes a night? And you're still going to yeah. have the same thing with with Fournier and Rose are essentially not going to play, but they don't move them. What do you think happened there? Um, Well, I'll say for Derek Rose, um, while we would have liked to see him actually go to a uh, contending, or I mean, I'm not going to say the Knicks aren't contending. We're, we're a couple pieces away. But Championship contending. Yeah, yeah. We can definitely do some damage in the playoffs, but... Uh, with Derek Rose, I mean, we want to see him play for a true contender. Yeah, even though we saw um, Derek Rose play a little bit during the season uh, and contribute in any way he knows how to, um, he's been a he's been a great mentor. And I I think he said it after the deadline that he's really focusing on helping these young guys out. I mean, he was a young guy once um, back in 2011 in his MVP season, so he's learned a lot over the years. And I think that while it would have been great to see him in a different situation thriving, um, I have the utmost respect for him for uh, being a professional, likewise with Evan Fournier and taking a backseat, guiding this team as best, uh, the best way they know. And uh, it, I feel like it's been paying off, honestly. So shout out to them for that. Um, when we talk about Obi Toppin, though, um, you got to feel bad for him for sure. Um, drafted as a lottery pick in 2020, um, we thought we'd be seeing a lot more minutes than we have been. Um, but and no one, ex no one expected Julius to turn into the Julius he turned into. So, yeah, I mean, all NBA second team, uh, that, uh, like the year after the bubble, it was very, very surprising. I can't say I was like disappointed about Obi Toppin not playing, but at the same time, when you have someone playing at that level that Julius Randle was, uh, I understand obviously why he took the back seat and he still is now. But um, like fourteen minutes a game for his career, still at this stage, uh, probably due for an extension pretty soon um i doubt the knicks give it to him and maybe he'll 
explore in the off season, but 14 minutes a game up until this point is extremely rough considering he was a lottery pick, considering he was going to be uh, one of those guys for New York who could, you know, uh, jump out the gym, get the crowd roaring. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the off season with him. Um, I wish him the best and no, like no matter what he does, but, uh, it's been a really disappointing tenure for Obi Toppin in New York, even though he's been, uh, in his hometown. Other moves at the deadline that could lead to later moves, in my opinion, at least, Say it's not true what all the former Nets have said, and I believe that it's not true that all the dysfunction came from Brooklyn and not from these guys. There's a chance they take the dysfunction with them. Say Kyrie Irving, you know, plays well enough down the stretch and gets an extension in Dallas, but then it takes a turn for the worse. Same with Kevin Durant and Phoenix. The next batch of guys, when you're trying to figure out, there's always someone in the NBA who's there's always a superstar who wants out. The next batch of guys of superstars who are asking for the trade could be a Luka Doncic, a Devin Booker, who Devin Booker wants to get out of KD's shadow, or Luka's trying to get away from Kyrie if Kyrie starts doing some Kyrie stuff. Do you think that's in play for the Knicks? Is that the next step from here where they go to as a franchise? Um, Yes and no. Uh, and I say yes because um, there's going to come a day where there's – going to be some sort of dysfunction with another franchise and there will be that offer on the table and with the farm that the Knicks have keeping everything at the deadline besides dishing off what they did for Josh Hart they're they're in a great position to do so but I say no because it's got to be the right guy I mean it, it all comes down to fit in this league we've seen over the offseason uh, especially this year uh, teams taking chances on guys whether it's um, a Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, a DeJounte Murray, or anyone of the sort um, going into new situations. And while it's th- uh, worked out for guys like Donovan Mitchell, uh, for example, I mean, it was a shame that we didn't get him, but he's doing really well in Cleveland. But then you see guys like DeJounte Murray and Rudy Gobert, who it, it, it's tough for them because they've. Did you ever like the Gobert trades? Do you ever think that was a good deal, though? Absolutely not. I right. I thought that Utah was getting the better end of that deal. Plethora of picks, plethora of players. Um, and who would have thought that two big men, like two centers essentially, wouldn't work well together? I, I mean, it never made sense to me. Yeah, I mean, the last time we had like two big men like thrive with each other, I, I would say. Indiana? Like the yeah. Indiana team that beat the Knicks? Yeah, I mean Roy Hibbert and and uh who was the other one? Um David West. Yeah, there you go. Well, I was thinking even like on a bigger scale than that. I was saying like the last time we had a nice like power forward center duo was Tim Duncan and David Robinson back. Yeah, that's true. That's the 90s back. Yeah. when uh we played them in the finals in that lockout shortened season. So I mean, yeah, it's it, it's tough. Um it's tough for them. So you talk about fit. That And that's exactly where I was going to go next. If you add another player, you also kind of multiple points we've made throughout this have led up to this. We talk about how you have two ball dominant guys in Jalen and Julius. If they get another player, we talked about the Tibbs fit, right? A guy having to be a Tibbs guy, Obi Toppin, uh, Cam Reddish, probably not those guys. 
if you get a superstar, and I heard from Bill Simmons that they were actually close on on Kevin Durant. The Knicks were actually close on getting the package to Brooklyn for yeah. Kevin Durant before Phoenix got him. So if you actually get that superstar, whoever it may be, how does that look with J- Julius Randle? Is that a guy who can fit with another maybe a wing, but a wing slasher, like bigger scorer? Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if if we can add another star and have them coexist with Julius Randle. Don't get me wrong, he does a lot uh, when it comes to playmaking and looking for his teammates. But, I mean, with how much he commands the ball, he's a number one option right now. Um, Jalen Brunson obviously commands a bunch of touches. If we were to get a superstar, RJ wouldn't be getting as much touches and shots. So I, I definitely think it's difficult, uh, especially since Randall likes to get to his spots and stuff like that. Um, it, it's definitely got to be the right guy uh, for sure, though. Uh, they got to be committed on defense. Um, they, I mean, I think a lot of the, the Knicks problem, too, is um, just working in isolation. We need a player that not only can work in isolation uh, like many big stars do, but we need someone who can play into our system and cut because we don't really have that many players outside of, you know, Quentin Grimes and Emmanuel Quickly and maybe even Josh Hart now that move off the ball. Uh, especially we've seen countless times down the stretch this season where uh, Julius Randle or Jalen Brunson is taking the ball down and everyone's standing in a corner. It's the complete five out. And we, we, we need it just more. gets predictable and stagnant. Yeah. It gets, especially down the stretch too. Yep. I mean, it's very, very easy for the other team to predict that. So um, not only do they have to kind of play within the, offense but they gotta they also gotta buy into what we're doing here i mean since taking over uh in 2020 leon rose has done some people will say uh like an ra job but i thought he i think he's done a really good job through the draft i mean uh the fournier signings uh after the the solid 41 and 31 year uh were obviously not what we anticipated them to be but I, I know I'm confident that he's going to put us in that situation, that right situation in the future. And I think that's why you're seeing him uh, being hesitant on deals, um, whether it's Donovan Mitchell or other people at the trade deadline outside of Hart. He's trying to put together the best fitting team possible. Yeah. And so you mentioned that. Where do they go from here? I think a successful season would be, a second round exit would be a you know a huge success, but even a first round exit if they if they play hard and maybe stretch a first round series to six or seven games against the right team, I think that would be a success also. But then where do you go from here? How do you get over the hump? To me, the only guys who are untouchable on this team are Jalen Brunson, Emmanuel Quickly, and Quentin Grimes. Like those three guys to me are untouchable. Everyone else is potentially movable. If you improve the team overall, where do they go from this season to build on a season like this? Yeah, I think it's really going to depend how how the season pans out. If they exceed expectations, they're I feel like they're going to bolster their team more, whether it's trading for a star or getting a couple more solid role players, bench pieces. But 
with Randall, they can they can definitely get like you could you could sell him high now, but I mean he's still in the prime of his career. Um I think where they go from here is it's really tough to say, man, just because so much can happen in little time. I think what they have to do is um either utilize they, they gotta utilize their farm at some point. They gotta use those draft picks, whether it's drafting players that fit the needs the Knicks have done pretty well with drafting over the last few years with their even just their late round uh late first round picks their yeah, second round sims picks. grimes deuce sims, grimes, quickly, quickly yep. mcbride um even mitchell robinson back yep. a few years ago so um whether it's utilizing those picks um and drafting players that fit our needs or dishing them off like we have to do something with those picks at some point because if we just keep waiting around, we're we're missing a window of opportunity with this team with Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle playing at a very, very high level of basketball. I mean, you see Julius Randle seventh right now in in the MVP rankings. So um it's really gonna be uh interesting to see how they manage themselves in the offseason and ultimately um, you know. Uh, develop and build on what they have right now seeing or uh, getting Quentin Grimes more repetitions in the offseason Emmanuel quickly all those young guys to put together a very cohesive unit to me now's the time to strike with the Knicks but at the same time you can't panic trade like to me uh like a Zach Levine would have been a panic trade. Like you, we missed out on, on Mitchell. We missed out on Durant. Now we need to use these picks. There's a fine line there between, okay, we know we need to use these picks. That's the next step, but finding the right guy who is a fit with this team. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, You said it, you said it best. I mean, we can't, we can't afford to have uh, Zach Levine on our team. It, it's gotta be a clear cut bona fide star. I mean, uh, we we touched on it earlier with Levine and uh, him being uh, a guy that can produce in high volumes, but we got to find someone who's efficient too. And uh, we can't really, if, if it's just the first guy that comes up, we can't say to ourselves, all right, well, this, like, this is who we need right now. This is like who can do it because like, we, we just can't settle. There, there's a there's a lot of names that get thrown around uh, throughout the league, and there's been many in Knicks rumors. But I've always thought it was interesting um, what a Shea Gilgis Alexander fit would look like for the Knicks. Then again, that guy's thought, developing into a top ten player in the league, so a fit yeah, with him so, would be. I mean, he'd fit anywhere. He'd fit anywhere, but it would also kind of change Brunson's and Randall's game, not to mention we'd have to give up a significant amount of assets for him. But he he's a name I've thought of in the back of my head for a while. Um, we've seen him perform at an extremely high level this season, so um, maybe that changes. But um, I'm glad that the Knicks are staying patient right now. Um, th- I mean, with all the play the like Kyrie moving, KD moving. Um, it's easy to get caught up in that and say to yourself, oh, well, maybe we can do something like that and uh, make a big trade to help us contend. But uh, outside of those two players, I mean, there weren't really anyone, any stars worth trading for. And yeah, um, it'll be very, very intriguing to see 
uh, how the offseason pans out in that regard. And um, as they look to, you know, contend in the in the near future and even in this in this year's playoffs. Yeah. And to me, even like a guy like, uh, I don't know, Anthony Davis wouldn't be the right fit right now with like he's hurt, you know, he's hurt all the time. And you just see it doesn't seem like that's a guy that you'd want to give up a ton for back to SGA. It's funny you mentioned that because at some point, OKC needs to make a decision what timeline are they on? And it seems like SGA is ahead of their timeline. They want to win. They're still stockpiling picks and assets. It seems like SGA is ahead of where they currently are as a franchise. Um, You talk about the Knicks. I think he'd be a perfect fit, but you talk about fits. And part of the reason why fit is so important is because they have a very specific coach in Tom Thibodeau. And he's a guy that you need to fit with his system to even get playing time. What do you think happens from here with Tom Thibodeau? We know there's Tibbs fatigue at times. It seems like after a couple of years, you know, the first couple of years he comes in and everyone's playing super hard. Everyone's playing defense and that's what he brings to a team. But then after a while it gets stale and the defense hasn't been top notch. The effort hasn't been top notch this year. Do you think Tibbs is safe going forward? Um, For right now, I would say yes. I mean, the team is uh, above 500. They're playing pretty solid basketball. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the Josh Hart um, trade pans out. Um, but for right now, I got to say he's safe. I mean, there's times where we see Tom Thibodeau uh, reluctant to play players or uh, lack of adjustment down the stretch to, you know, pull things uh, through. But Tom Thibodeau, um, he's, he's been a lot more open this season. Uh, I mean, it's it's about time he's been uh, he's starting to play the kids now, um, and it's and it's benefited him. It's put him in a great position going forward. Um, even if it were a rough ending to the season, Thibodeau is on a five year deal, so he's supposed to be here until twenty twenty five. I I honestly see him uh, going the whole length of his contract, whether we choose to re sign him or not. It uh, remains to be undetermined, but um, I think it the, these last two, like this this season, obviously, and the next two seasons, uh, is really going to be make or break from him uh, for him. If we don't see anything uh, like extremely positive in these next two seasons, maybe it'll be time for him to, uh, you know, head out. I mean, there's been several coaches over the years where. Um, they've had like success coaching the team or whatever, but at the end of the day, teams are trying to win championships. So if he can't get us to that level, um, in, in the short future, then it might be time to look elsewhere considering, um, the hesitancies that he has, uh, with the rotation, with his adjustments and honestly how he, uh, prepares the team for each and every game. Yeah, and with him, and you mentioned having a championship contending head coach, a guy who might become available this offseason is a guy like Nick Nurse. If someone like that becomes available, who's had to work with all types of superstars, including, I don't know if you've heard some of the stuff that he said about having to work with Kawhi Leonard and how that relationship works, but he got quite literally the most out of Kawhi. They won a championship do you think if someone like that becomes available, that changes how the Knicks look at Tom Thibodeau? Um, it's it's definitely uh, 
yeah, no, it's very interesting for the, for the Knicks because uh, well, while we've seen th- Tom Thibodeau have success, these other coaches have done some, I mean, with Nick Nurse specifically too, he's done so much in such little time um, with this Raptors squad and managing all the different stars. But, um, you know, it's definitely something that the Knicks got to think about. I mean, uh, you can't discredit Thibodeau, obviously. He's brought the team to a playoff series for the first time in eight years at the time. And now uh, we're knocking on the door of, you know, doing that again. So um, you can't discredit discredit him in that uh, regard. But, you know, it's something that the Knicks got to think about um, because, I mean, the future is very bright, but it's it's how you manage that future. And they got to think to themselves, is Tom Thibodeau the answer or is he going to be the guy that can win you a championship? And if you look back at his uh, history with Chicago and Minnesota and how it's panned out there, you know, I I don't I don't see in the long term the Knicks winning a championship with Tom Thibodeau. So you got to think uh, whether it's Nick Nurse or whoever else becomes available on that coaching market. Um, if you see something in them that because I mean Nurse obviously has that experience of winning the the championship. Um if if the Knicks see something in somebody that's available, then um I think they should go out and get them because uh in, in the off in the off season, uh this off season especially because uh if we wait on it, then they're gonna just go to a different team and you know, it's we're going to be stuck with Thibodeau. And I mean, he's been he's been a great coach, um, but, you know, there's there's still issues with his style of coaching, playing players in excessive amount of minutes um, that just isn't really going to take this team to like I, I can't see them playing their best basketball with Thibodeau. I still think that there's a lot more to come with this team, but it really comes down to who is uh, running this, this organization, or not this organization, but who's coaching these players. Yeah. And with Tibbs, like you said, we've seen this before where it, there seems to be a, a fatigue that grows and, you know, the initially it's great with him and then it kind of goes sideways. And we've seen this every place he's been, uh, Bill Simmons also joked about this last year where he's like, maybe, maybe he, should, uh, Tibbs should just go to a different team for one year every year, go one year around the league, get them to buy in, get them to hustle and play defense, play each guy like 42 minutes a night, and then he goes on to the next team. It's kind of a funny idea, obviously, he's kidding, but um, right. all right, uh, for this season, um, who do you have? It's a little early, we just had the trade deadline, so one team in the west got significantly better, the other team in the west got better. Who do you see as the uh, finals favorites? Who do you think is going to be there? Who wins it? I think it's going to be very interesting. Um, there's a couple names when you think about the East uh, coming to mind. You obviously, have the Boston Celtics. They've been fantastic. I think um, their their bench is phenomenal. They have a lot of great pieces. They just need to stay healthy. Got the Milwaukee Bucks too. Uh, just recently acquiring Jay Crowder. 
Um, yeah, I think coming out of the East, I have to say the Boston Celtics, as long as they're healthy. I mean, Robert Williams is a phenomenal center who's uh, versatile and does so many little things out there on the floor. You got Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, um, like Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White off the bench. I think they're going to be uh, the team coming out of the the East. I think the Bucks will give him a fight in a series, but um, with the way they've been playing together through all of this um, and uh, even with guys like Al Horford, Grant Williams, they're, they, they just do a lot of the little stuff uh, and they move, they, they play together as a team uh, in comparison to other teams. So I, I think that's uh, who I see coming out of the East, but as far as the West, it, it becomes a little tricky. You got Durant now in Phoenix, you got uh, Kyrie in Dallas, you have uh, the Clippers making a, a boatload of deals between Bones Highland, Eric Gordon, uh, Mason Plumley, um, but I still think that the Denver Nuggets are going to come out of the West. Honestly, Jokic has been playing at an MVP level; he has been for the last two years. But the difference between those teams and this team now is that this team is healthy. They got the guys that they want in there. They traded away Monte Morris in the offseason, getting a nice sharpshooter in KCP. And their offense has really uh, been throttled as a result. You see their offensive ratings going up between uh, Jokic, Aaron Gordon, KCP. You got Jamal Murray back from uh, a torn ACL. They're going to be a a force in the West, and I think it's going to be really tough for for teams to uh, defend what they're trying to do out there on the floor, uh, I can't argue that. I, I like. I want to say Bucks over. You got me there on the Nuggets. I love the Nuggets. I think Jokic is MVP again. I think yeah. Bucks over Suns, like a rematch of a couple of years ago, would be fun, and for the Bucks to win again would be super cool. Um. All right, today is Super Bowl Sunday. Right. Uh, this is going to air after the Super Bowl, but. You, you got to make a Super Bowl pick, I feel like, right? So yeah. this is the last thing before you go Philly or KC and uh, 20 seconds on why. All right. So I'm personally going to go with Kansas City. Um, Are you a Giant fan? I am a Giant okay, fan. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I was going to make the disclaimer because, I mean, essentially at that point it's biased. But I think with uh, – I mean, both teams are very great. Don't get me wrong. Two phenomenal quarterbacks. But I think for, for this Super Bowl, it's going to come down to experience. You know, the Eagles, yeah, they they won a couple uh, six years ago, but that was under the helm of a different quarterback, uh, a bunch of different players. Different are, head coach. You know, on the Yeah, different coach. So it's a, a, different, a different team, essentially, that's making it to the Super Bowl. And I think uh, that – yeah, Kansas City won against the 49ers two or three years ago, and then they had that loss against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. They've learned uh, through the wins and losses in the Super Bowl and, you know, uh, playing on that stage in Arizona now. I think that the Chiefs are going to pull through as long as, you know, uh, Patrick Mahomes isn't hobbling the entire game. Yeah. All right. So uh, I'm with you. I have uh, Kansas City. I had them. Everyone who listens to this knows I took a future on them in October at plus 800. So I'm I'm hoping they win. And if they lose, then we'll just cut this whole part of the podcast. Uh, yeah. But, uh, 
anyway, I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, plug what you got to plug, everything you have going on, and tell the people where they can find you, Twitter, online, etc. Yeah, so I mean, um, you can find like most of my content I do through Twitter. So uh, you can just find me at Jake Brown MBA on Twitter. Uh, I don't really got anything else to plug because I mean, that's where I do the majority of my content. I think one day I'll get to the point where uh, I expand, expand into, you know, TikTok, Instagram and all those things. But for right now, Twitter has been my niche and yeah, it's, it's been great. I, stuff. I, and I will say you're very good at it uh, with the Twitter stuff because a lot of, like I, like I said, I see a lot of Nick's Twitter and there are very few people that, um, I, I I follow and I see okay everything that's posted I'm like yeah that's that's good I agree with that so um I again I appreciate you coming on and uh let's let's do it again sometime all right yeah absolutely let's chop it up sometime I, right. I really appreciate it man thank you uh go Knicks yeah go Knicks all right thank you so much to Jake Brown for joining me uh just a great conversation about the Knicks the future of the Knicks they have won another game since they have a big game tonight against the Atlanta Hawks. Any game against the Hawks is big, but a lot of teams jostling now for those last few spots in the Eastern Conference. Really, the Knicks can get as high pretty much as the five seed, but can also go as low as uh, maybe even the 10 seed. So hopefully uh, we find ourselves in a playoff spot and not the play-in tournament, unless it's against the Nets and then the Knicks can beat the Nets in the play-in tournament. That would be fun also. Um, but one of the games you're going to have to win, you're going to have to beat teams in conference in the Eastern Conference or in that spot. Not one of the teams in that spot is uh, the Atlanta Hawks, who are now 20, I think they're 29 and 29. Um, and then that's the last game before the All-Star game for the Knicks. So we'll talk more Knicks coming, after, coming out of the break. There'll be some representation at the All-Star game as Julius Randle is an All-Star. I assume Jalen Brunson will be there as a reserve, depending on people getting hurt and whatnot. Quentin Grimes will be in the Rising Stars game, which I'm looking forward to. And then Jericho Sims will be in the Slam Dunk Contest. Anyway, Jake Brown. Good dude. He's on Twitter at Jake Brown NBA uh, at Jake Brown NBA on Twitter. Really good content. If you like basketball or you're a Knicks fan, uh, you should follow his stuff because there's a lot of stupid things people say on Twitter and he doesn't say stupid things. Anyway, until next time, it's been a long episode already. Uh, so until next time, please like subscribe. Thank you to all the sponsors. Thank you to all the listeners. Obviously, Share the podcast with someone you know. If you think someone would like it, please share it. I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And until next time, see ya. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high. When you take me to your eyes, like I'm standing in the sky. Your subway cars and road graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Drive down Riverside See the birds flying on the high line 
with sidewalks burning, we pray for rain in July. I want the Yankees 99, yeah. and the Knicks on a sold out night. When the curtains close and the Broadway streets are alive. Hey. I need your heartbeat close, don't you ever leave me. And I breathe your air when I land in another city. And I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones. I'm still here.